October 27th, 2023. And uh, just got some snow here last couple of days, but that's okay. That's the way it is. We're going to look at, continue our, our walk through Ephesians 1. And we'll look at verses 7 through 14 today, Lord willing. I hope that it is a blessing to you, your life, and your heart, your walk. And I would encourage you to put your nose in the book, confirm what is being said, and then uh, for yourself that you might know. So we'll pick it up in, I'll just read the text, and we'll go from there. Verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence or understanding, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose who works uh, the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ in whom you also trusted and we'll get to that because it's added by the translators uh, after that you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with that holy spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory so I would like to advise those who listen or those who read these comments on the Ephesian letter, advise you to greatly familiarize yourself with its contents, meaning, and application. This book is a treasure. Unlike some books that once you open the lid, you have to dig through the top layer to find out the treasure at the bottom. This book is full of treasure from top to bottom. Acquaint yourself with it. Come to know it. Even memorize some of its parts, or, if you will, in its entirety. There's only six chapters, right? We then continue now to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
as Paul said in Philippians. And we'll pick it up in one, Ephesians 1, 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So the phrase refers to the beloved or Jesus Christ. Um, remember verses four through six are basically parenthetical. So that the last two words of verse three, <clears throat> which are in Christ, connects with the first two words of verse seven, in whom. So in Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood. So thus in Christ, in Christ, we have redemption through, and that word dia means the channel of the act. We have redemption through his blood and nothing else. The redemptive price was the blood of Christ. He bought us back from being sold under sin, as Paul said in Romans 7, 14. So the aspect of uh, the forgiveness of sins in verse 7 of Ephesians 1. Redemption and also the forgiveness of sins in the plural, by the way. And we'll go back to Romans 6, 6 through 10. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no more dominion over him, for in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Then I'm going to also refer you to Hebrews 9.28. Uh, so Christ was once offered, once, to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. I'm going to clarify this phrasing here in Hebrews 9.28 because a long time ago I picked this up. That's The phrasing is a little bit different, and uh, I'll refer you back to the received text. Uh, the received text shows us that uh, unto them that look for him, apart from sin unto salvation, shall he appear the second time. So, if you understand this, uh, 
the first manifestation of Christ, that is, his incarnation, was apart from sin. So it would be redundant to say his second coming would be the same. It was, it was not Christ who changed, but the redeemed who changed. If Christ then bore your sins on Calvary, you also look for him without sin. And that's the point of Hebrews 9.28. And the distinction between that can be seen in Romans 7 uh, and 8, if you care to refer back to that. So the the forgiveness of sins is according to the riches of his grace and nothing else. That's one of the main themes I want to hit on this. Look, it tells you emphatically how it all works, but it doesn't say nothing about your contribution to it. Okay? We'll continue on in Ephesians 1.8 wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself. Now, the abounding, he hath abounded toward us, can be actually translated as to superabound. The Greek word has the prefix uh, peri, P-E-R-I, it means all over and everything, superabound. That abounding was according to his wisdom and his prudence, which uh, prudence is defined as intellectual and moral insight. Okay, yeah, but obviously, he who is uh, omniscient knows more than his creatures. Now, part of that abounding included making known unto us the mystery of his will. And all of that was simply according to his good pleasure and nothing else. Okay? And, and people like to interject their striving and their energy and what they did and what they didn't do. Listen, go back before time and, and there you find God and, and working through Christ even then. And this is precisely the point that Paul is making. So it was a, according to that which he had purposed within himself. All of this is according to that which God has purposed within himself, meaning that there were no outside influences or considerations. That's what that means. We find here the melding of two concepts purpose and pleasure. His purpose then is manifested by his pleasure, and his pleasure is derived from his purpose. Ephesians 1.10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in him. So that word dispensation is actually, is kind of like an administration. The, the fullness of time is the completion of time. When we refer to the Old Testament dispensation and the New Testament dispensation 
and even to the dispensation of the time before the flood, it all has reference to the idea of an administration. Those things had a, a specific administration, very specific. The antediluvians, the Old Testament, and the New Testament, and also will have an administration or the dispensation of the fullness of time when time is no more. Okay, time does have an end, even as time had a beginning. And that's Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, or God in the beginning, in the beginning. It's a place where, for frame of reference, for us, that's where it starts. But we remember that God is from everlasting to everlasting. He's omnipresent, regardless of time. So at that point, uh, at the point of the, the fullness of time, God gathers together in one all things that are in Christ. And this word in is a Greek word is en, in, and, it, and it refers to a fixed position or place. It's a position where you are. It's where you are. We are in Christ. We then are as much in Christ as he is in us. Uh, reference Romans 6. So it's important to interject a thought here uh, uh, based upon the last half of Romans 7 and all of Romans 8. The one born again or regenerated is of a distinctly different origin than the natural body. Okay, it's not a melding. It's a, it's a, in fact, you don't know combat until, until you become a believer and then you fight with your own flesh on a daily basis. And Paul speaks of it in Second Corinthians 4, 7. He said, uh, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So this treasure is not of us. The only thing we actually have a part in is that we are the earthen vessels in which this treasure is. So the treasure is at this time, as we are upon the earth, contained in an earthen vessel known as the flesh or the biological body, which we received from our parents. The spiritual man has a different origin, going back to being chosen and predestinated before the foundation of the world. Thus, the constant battle between spirit and flesh that Paul spoke of in Galatians 5, the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. So Ephesians 1.11, in whom we also have obtained, that is, in Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And we are predestinated according to what? 
It just told us right there in verse 11. So the phrase in whom, again, refers us back again to that last two words in verse 3, in Christ, and picked up again in verse 7, in whom, and then again in this verse. So you follow that pattern. In Christ, again, that word is N-E-N, a position. It's where we are. We have obtained, and that means to allot or to assign a privilege, uh, as in an inheritance. This inheritance comes by way of being predestinated according to the counsel of his own will and nothing else. And nothing else. Uh, verse 12, and I'll read this to you from two different versions. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. That's the King James. The modern King James says, for us to be to the praise of his glory who previously had trusted in Christ. And the, the Greek word actually uh, there in the King James, first trusted, could mean can be translated as for trusted, for as in uh, beforehand. So uh, the King James version uses a Greek word that conveys the idea of hoping in in advance of further confirmation. Okay, uh, and let me clarify that. The idea of hoping in advance for further confirmation. Faith in the scripture is defined as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hope then, the substance of things hoped for, hoped then, bases its strength upon the idea that more great things are coming, and that hope is not based upon what can be seen. Predestination, as stated in this chapter, marks us out from before the beginning. So Jesus spoke about, no one is able to come to me except the Father draw him, and who do you think? The Father is going to draw. But those who had been predestinated. Now, we don't, you know, we don't carry this label around on our forehead to say, I've been predestinated. That's not how that all works. Okay. Uh, we don't know who is, just looking at the general populace. But God knows who they are. Okay. So what then is the basis for that drawing of the one and not the other? How come uh, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him? It's apparent that he doesn't draw all people. But these are things that God works after the counsel of his own will. And th that's obviously things that we're talking about in this chapter. And then in, in Ephesians 1.13, in whom also, in whom ye also trusted. 
After that, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So again, we have that phrase, in whom, it's referring back to Jesus Christ in verse 3, where we had been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. And that's again, is, is a synoptic statement. 4, 5, and 6 kind of fleshes that out. The word trusted in this verse, in whom you also trusted, that word, had been added by the translators. So let's read the verse and skip that word. In whom you also, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Um, All that follows then, all that follows verse 6, okay, and this is just a hint, everything that follows verse 6 should be understood by what is said in verses 4 through 6, okay? So that's, that's the literal context. So actually, one is not free to stray from those truths to suit something else. That is, according as, verse 4, he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. So the word of truth is the gospel of of your salvation. After that, you believed, and if you look at the word belief, it's kind of intermingled with the, the whole concept of faith because the Greek word pistis is is uh, faith and belief are kind of intermingled. They're synonymous concepts. It refers to faith. faith. Faith, if you remember what we talked about in Galatians 5, faith is a fruit of the Spirit. Fruit means that which is produced by the Spirit. Faith is not a work of the carnal man. He cannot have faith because it's a fruit of the Spirit. Now, I'm going to step back. Let's step back for a minute and take a, a, a big view here. Uh, I, I'm going to talk to you about my personal experience. Um, if you're like me, perhaps. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. Uh, because I, I experience the human condition only through my own view. So I'll tell you what what happened and and I didn't sift this out until I got to be pretty old. But uh, in my youth, before I ever heard the gospel, I inherently knew that truth existed. That order existed. That purpose existed. My struggle was to know the truth, to recognize how order came about, and how it was and is sustained, 
And where did I fit within all of that? I sought, and in my seeking, I did not seek things attractive, things that were common to the age. They held no attraction to me because it was all a facade, an illusion, makeup, fantasy. So God, according to his purpose and pleasure, now I'm not telling you I'm a, I was a saint. I'm not telling you that at all. I'm telling you this is what this is what the spiritual, intellectual, uh, emotional, all, all that stuff was tied up in this in, in this pursuit. But God, according to his purpose and pleasure, kept me from those things. And at the appointed time, he brought illumination into my being. I cannot say if it was belief in God at the time, I cannot say it wasn't. For me, faith was in knowing that there were things that existed that were genuine, valuable, and precious, things worthy of seeking, even though they were hid or or. obscured by the clamor and distractions of the world. I somehow knew in the seeking that I would come to know. And don't ask me how all of that worked, because I don't have a clue, but I do see it in other people. So one facet of belief is the recognition that truth exists and that it can be known. Perhaps another facet of it is this, that if I seek it, I will find it. So the, uh, the disciples, I will leave off what I just told you about myself. The disciples were promised the comforter. The comforter, it's a, it's a nice word, I like that word. Because the the Greek word has the prefix para. Para means in company with. Okay, like a paramedic or a parachute. Of course, if you jump out of an an airplane, you want a parachute. Um, That's in company. It should be accompanying you. So it's one called alongside. That's what this means. The the comforter is a paraclete. Uh, Not parakeet, but paraclete, one called alongside to help. But the comforter, John 4, 14, 26 says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your, your remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. So he, that's what he said to the disciples. But we, we back up in John 14 and verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am, I am, I am. Okay, present tense. Not I was, not I shall be, but I am. Now that word I am, if you're, if you're a student of John, you know that Jesus has a lot of those phrases that use the term I am. And that goes right back to what God told Moses to tell Israel 
about who had sent him, tell them, I am hath sent you unto them. So the whole idea of that is God is always present tense. So Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So the Holy Spirit is the interior witness given to testify of Jesus and the Father. He is also the one who, I believe, provokes us unto the truth, who makes us dissatisfied with everything that is not the truth. <clears throat> I, I have a, a, an old, older friend. He's in his 80s, late 80s. Uh, and I've been privileged to have my friendship with him a number of years, but I came to know him through uh, when I was pastoring uh, in Alaska. And he became friendly to me and my wife as a family, and we respected him. Uh, but we also enjoyed his company, and he, it, it, it came to where he he had made a profession of faith. And, uh, and I asked him one time, I said, you know, because um, we were talking about the truth. You know, when I say I believe that, that the Holy Spirit provokes us unto the truth, I asked him, I said, well, I said, in this world of lies and deception, what makes you want to know the truth? And he says, he said, well, I don't know. I just know that I want to know. And it's okay. You know, if you can't articulate it, yet this thing abides in you. It doesn't go away. It's, it's like an itch that can't be scratched. It doesn't go away. So we'll look at Ephesians uh, verse 14, 114. So the Holy Spirit, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. In none of this do we pat ourselves on the back. There is no room for that because if it wasn't for grace, none of us would be where we are. So the earnest is defined as a pledge. The earnest of our inheritance, it's at, like as part of a purchase money given to uh, given in advance as a security for the rest. So that's that's kind of what what that concept is talking about. Um, that it describes what the Holy Spirit is and what He does. Uh, the security of our inheritance, which abides with us until the redemption of the purchased possession. So speaking in that sort of language, it's of buying and selling real estate or other high-priced items, thus uh, purchased possessions. If you've ever bought a house in America, uh, when you submit a, a, a proposal, you have um, an earnest money uh, that you accompany that to... to, to uh, ensure that that the rest of the money will be there if the deal goes goes through it shows that we are earnest in our offer so let me ask you this if you are redeemed what was the price jesus paid to redeem you Do you see 
all that takes place with regard to the spiritual things of God regarding God's children had been set in place prior to the beginning of time, prior to the foundation of the world. I'm going to read you a verse out of, oddly enough, Revelation 17, verse 8, to argument what I just told you. Uh, the beast that you saw was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and shall go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they behold the beast that was, and is not, and yet is. So we can we can juggle this, this phrasing. Uh, let's look at it this way. And they that dwell on the earth whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, shall wonder when they behold the beast that was and is not, and yet is. Okay? That helps, in my mind, to clarify it a little bit. But what was the main point of that? Those whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Then that's exactly what... Paul is talking about in Ephesians 1. People don't like to consider this because they think they got to have something to do with it. Uh, Ephesians 2.1, and which we'll get to that, but you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. That The Greek word for dead is nekros. It means corpse. You are a corpse. Well, when's the last time you saw a corpse do anything? It's incapable because it's dead. And it's ironic. Then we go back to Revelation seventeen eight. We go to the end and we see the beginning. The testimony of God stands sure. And it breaks the skepticism of the world and reveals it for what it is. From ages past, to time present, and to the end of time. Now close today with uh, admonition from the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 23, verse 23. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Once you got it, keep it, help it to grow. I hope the Word of God had profited your soul and your spirit today. Uh, thank you for listening.